Welcome back, everybody, to the Joking Hazard Podcast. We have an amazing guest with us today. We are graced with the presence of Kyle Schleeman, the descendant of the outlaw of the prohibitionist Schleeman Brewery, I believe. That's what I read correctly, which is pretty cool. So it comes from a distinct family more than anything in Ontario as far as the brew history. But more than anything, Kyle Schleeman is joining us on the podcast. Sir, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for coming back on. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. And the story goes that Al Capone was one of our best customers. That, that See, and that's the thing. I've, I've heard you say that before. I wanted to confirm it for sure. So, I, I mean, you could just uh, like the Coles notes, but obviously if for everybody listening, like Schleeman Brewery is like actually a staple in Guelph, Ontario. So I'll let you kind of explain it more than anything, but tell us the story. Uh, I guess so, like, back in, you know, the 1600s or whatever, the Sleemans in, in England, they were basically pirates, right? They would, um, um, you know, they were pirates. They would take things and they would, um, they had their own, like, um, alcohol breweries and things like that. They would sell illegally. And then over years and years and years, they eventually just um, migrated over to Canada. And, um, you know, 100 years later, they started their own brewery here and then it became illegal and they still sold underground. They shipped barrels of it um, to the States and things like that. I don't know too, too much about it, just what I've read online. But um, yeah, so I'm not obviously not direct, direct related, but somewhere down the line, they've come over to Canada and the, the family has branched branched apart right but again that's still a pretty cool story where you're connected to like you can track your history if anything you can say that yeah absolutely yeah super cool no for sure so there's big things obviously that you have achieved over the last little bit i mean like we talk about your recent successes especially with like bjj fanatics obviously all the um globetrotter camps that you've been doing but big thing that you're training for right now is world masters so how has that training been going? What's kind of going on with you lately? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, doing World Masters, which is about two and a half weeks away. And um, I've been training pretty hard, uh, probably an eight-week training camp. I hurt my rib a little bit at the beginning of it, so I had to work around that a little bit. Uh, but there's always adversities you have to face, right? Everybody's hurt. Um, I've just been doing my strength and conditioning, my sprints, my running, um, jiu-jitsu. Um, judo wrestling. I've been doing everything I could possibly do revolving around, you know, a full-time job as well. Right. So um, I'm trying to eat as clean as I can and, you know, just make my body as healthy as possible. And that way I'm able to perform. So kind of, let, let's talk about that. I mean, like you, you mentioned that, like the balance between a full base job and then you know, you're, you're a master's competitor, right? You're not a, an adult competitor anymore. So like, how do you find time or what's your, your strategy that you're kind of managing yourself, whether it's for your training schedule, obviously your recovery, which is a big one when we talk about like athletic, like performance more than anything, how are you able to manage all that? Well, the good thing is like every elite athlete needs some downtime. And I'm very, very grateful and very lucky that my job isn't a hard working job like i i can you know i get by doing my job you know it's not like i'm not digging holes and digging post holes and, and building fences and roofing i'm not doing none of that so 
a lot of my job is math and, um, you know, on, on a computer here and there. So I'm able to really train hard during the day. And then, yeah, of course, there's some physicality to my job, but a lot of it's recovery. I'm able to recover and still get my job done at the same time. So it's it it works hand in hand with the athletic lifestyle. Okay. So like how many days a week are you generally training nowadays? Um, I try and train five days a week and then I, I'd like to take two days off a week. Um, during the two days off though, it's, it's not just off. Like I'm, I'm focused on recovery, right? I'm booking a massage, a cryotherapy, ice bath, foam rolling, stretch routine, um, taking naps, you know, like even, even my training days, like I'll wake up in the morning, I'll head to action reaction in the morning at 9:30 AM and I'll train there for a couple hours, come home, eat, take a nap, and then go into my four to 12 shift at work or whatever. And then my four to 12 shift, I just, you know, take it easy and do what I have to do. Make sure I get my job done. Then I get an eight hour sleep and do it again. Right. So I'm either training at action reaction or I'm going to Cal Samra at noon and teaching my noon class there. Mm -hmm. So I'm always able to be on the mats five days a week. And even if I'm exhausted, I'll just teach the class and basically use the teaching as a drilling period. Okay, so like you've kind of organized your schedule to make it work properly for you and you designed it the way you need it to work. Yeah, exactly. I'm very grateful uh, that everything has kind of fell in place like that. But again, you have to you have to create that yourself, right? Like everybody says they don't have time. Well, you do have time. You just have to manage it properly. Like there's not many extra minutes in the day that I have, mm-hmm. you know? Everything is timed, and, and if I don't if I don't time things properly, then things don't get done. You know, yeah, I'm busy right from eight a.m. right till midnight every day. Yeah. So, do you feel like it? Like, what happens if you, like something goes off the rails? Like, what do you do? Like, you just kind of manage it, you move forward, or like you kind of have to recycle, go back. Like, how does it work? Like, what do you mean? Like, let's say uh, you miss a workout. Like, do you double it up? Do you have to go back? Or do you just kind of, okay, I've skipped it. I've kind of moved forward, moving forward. So if I miss a workout, I'll I'll use that opportunity as, as a rest day. Okay. Right? So I'm not going to necessarily double up on it and catch up on it. And then it, and then it doubles up on my exhaustion later. Mm-hmm. I'll just use that as, oh, I couldn't make it today. So that is my, one of my two days rest period during the week. Okay, perfect. I will, I won't double up, but I will, the the rest day that I had planned, I'll train that day instead. Okay. All right. So like, how do you- I am training five days a week. Yeah, it's like the same, right? Like five days a week, it's a lot of training, right? So how how do you, do you find time to study or is it kind of like you already kind of know what you're working on throughout that course of the month or things that you're progressing on? Yeah, good question. So- like when I come home from training, I'll have basically from, you know, say 11 o'clock till, till 2.30 until I have to go to work. So if there's three hours of downtime I have, I'll take a nap or I'll, I'll find something that I need to work on or study some instructionals or something like that. But most of the time, I feel like I'm lacking everywhere in my jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. And I always have, I, I make a list of things I need to work on, mm-hmm. you know. Like maybe this month will be like, okay, I need to work on guard passing to back takes. So the whole month will be dedicated to passing guard and taking the back. Okay. Yeah. I, I think 
you i think you and a lot of athletes share the same sentiment where it's like you're always trying to figure out something that you're lacking of anyways right where it's like you feel oh i might be really good at guard passing but you're like ah there's something still missing i still got to work on something right so there's there's always room for improvement no matter what yeah absolutely people say all the time they're like oh kyle you're so good at jiu-jitsu i'm like oh i guess like there's so many things I need to improve on. Like, mm -hmm. you know, what, what's good, right? Like I want to be way better. So I can't look at it like, Oh, I'm good. I have to look at it. Like I need improvement always constantly mm -hmm. progressing. So, and that's a good kind of like follow up because it's like, I mean, like you always looking to improve. So like how there's that fine line between like, obviously athlete and then like teacher, right. Where it's like, you can be, a, there's lots of great, athletes that are also really great teachers right but then there's a lot of like teachers that are just not athletes right so it's kind of variable so like how do you kind of like find time to be a great athlete but then try to be a great teacher as well well i find that traveling a lot doing the bj fanatics and meeting all kinds of people like travis stevens and and doing the globe charters camps and meeting all those instructors out there doing those camps i find like everybody's such a good instructor that i try and take their best qualities and implement that into my own teaching abilities right so um when i teach when i'm teaching i'm i'm trying to develop my students game i, I kind of look at it like if i was to teach myself as a black belt, if I was to teach my white belt self jujitsu, how would I do that? And what would I want to know? That's kind of how I, I, I approach the teaching aspect. You know, so obviously when I teach, it gives me an opportunity as well to go back and sharpen up the techniques that, mm -hmm. that, um, that I'm teaching as well. And a lot of the times when I teach, I'm, I'm kind of teaching myself things too at the same time. I'm like, oh, shit, I didn't know that. And sometimes some of my white belts and blue belts are like, oh, can I put my hand here? I'm like, actually, yeah, you can. That's a great idea. Mm -hmm. You know, so, yeah, being an athlete, I kind of like use teaching as learning as well. You know, if, if that answers your question. Yeah, yeah. No, no, absolutely. So let me ask you this, because I, I mean, there's a lot of like guys that are great at jiu-jitsu and then they always go, oh, you know, I can go make a. I can go make a DVD too, right? And they could do a bunch of stuff. But I, I see the like stuff that you've posted online or even like guys like Jordan or even guys like Kieran who have, they have notebooks of stuff. And they're like, okay, this is what I'm going to teach on this particular DVD, right? So can you kind of like, I obviously want to ask you how you got into all that too, right? But like, how do you, build upon like your your lesson plan because like there's a lot of things you put into these dvds like and they call it like two three hours like i've seen like just even trying to film like instructional stuff for like workout like just kind of like that's a lot of footage and things you got to put together so the fill three hours is a lot and then if you're looking at guys like danaher who got 15 hours worth of like content and like seven dvds that are the same thing like it's a lot of footage right so like how do you break this up to like even come to the idea of like, okay, I'm going to build on half guard or, or whatever. 
Yeah, man, that's a great question. Um, when I first got the opportunity to go to BJJ Fanatics to film, um, I had a couple. I had the first time I went there, I filmed three instructions. So when I sat down, I'm like, okay, I can do this. I sat down, I started writing out some stuff, and I realized, holy shit, like my jujitsu is like a ball of yarn that a cat has ripped apart. And I'm like, oh my god, like I have to sit here and organize this whole shit now. You know, and it was way deeper than I even expected. Mm-hmm. And you're absolutely right. I had, you know, 90 pages of stuff just for one instructional, just to get to three hours. Mm-hmm. And it was not, it was not easy because all those details have to be correct or else a black belt's going to criticize. Yeah. Right. So everything had to be super sharp and it took a long time. And it really helped me develop my game and my systems. It was uh, it was a learning experience as well, um, and it was a great opportunity to go down. And, and one of the one of the highlights actually. So I was filming my guard passing instructional, and uh, Danaher was sitting there, and uh, and I remember when I I did a move or whatever, I looked over and he says, hmm. Very precise, Mr. Sleeman. And I was like, yeah, that's, right. that's, <laughs> that's pretty cool. That's the shit I want right there, right? So, but yeah, it, it, it was not easy. There's there so much that goes into it. And uh, yeah, and then my my three instructionals, they were selling so well that, uh, that I got the invite back. And when I went back the second time, man, they sure rolled out the red carpet for me. And, like uh, they put me up in a, friggin eight bedroom mansion and oh nice you know I, I had a guy driving me around all week and oh man it was it was amazing that's pretty sweet yeah it was really cool it was really cool so like like how did that come to fruition like how did you how do you even get into the idea of like yeah i want to film a instructional or like you start and now i know you're doing all these like teaching retreats with like globe um sorry globe trotters um no not globe trotters it's not what's the what's yeah, the trotters yeah okay i'm right wow so, globe trotters. yeah yeah yeah. so I, i'm i'm here i'm thinking like um what was it basketball for a second i'm like i'm totally wrong for a moment <laughs> but yeah so like you got <laughs> you got um this how did this all come into fruition so uh, actually like you know teaching at the globe trotters camps kind of like gets your name out there and then they start posting videos of some of your camp classes and things like that and you're creating networks Right. So like going and teaching at these globe charters camps now, like I know multiple black belts in every single state of the USA. Mm-hmm. Right. So you start gaining these connections. And then uh, eventually um, a guy from BJJ Fanatics I connected with and uh, it just it just went from there. And, you know, let's do some videos. Yeah, sure. We'll have you down. And then, uh, yeah, they flew me down and. And, uh, and I, as soon as I got there, boom, we all connected so good. We were like, you know, uh, they didn't want me to leave. I didn't want to leave. You know, oh, we man. wanted to keep hanging out. And, and then we uh, trained after filming and stuff. So we just made that instant connection right away. And, uh, yeah, now just I got in with them right away. Like, very lucky. Yeah. Like, so how- I'm going back again, actually, for a third time. Uh, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, sometime next year, yeah. Yeah, like so. What's can you reveal what their theme might be next time, or are you kind of holding that on? Well, one of them I think I'm gonna do is like um, 
getting jacked over 40. Okay. I'm going to do like some sort of a workout and, and strength and conditioning type BJJ Fanatics instructional on like, you know, the proper diet that you need, supplementation, um, you know, feeding your body the, the, the macronutrients and the micronutrients that you need type supplementation. Um, you know, exercises that you need, you know, anaerobic activity, um, aerobic activity, everything that your energy systems need in order to be a high performance athlete, right? So I'm looking at um, getting into something like that as well. And then, uh, yeah, I still have um, two others that I'm going to be thinking of and developing over time. I gotcha. So. Very nice. Excellent. So obviously like having to switch from that teacher model into performance athlete model, right? Do you kind of, who do you lean on to really kind of help you getting your coaching in play? Is it like, are you still working with a specific coach? Do you use everybody now, especially at the age you are and people in the gym? Like where, where do you kind of find your kind of guidance from? Um, so I'm under Professor Fernando Zula. At action reaction right and i teach at cal samrat martial arts so the guys at cal samrat they're really good there there's a lot of high level professional mma guys at cal samrat um so they're very very good to work with nogi um but fernando zula he's been a great guidance for me um anytime i, I need guidance he's always there um i train a lot with uh breno um and he gives me a lot of guidance as well and um, I train quite a bit with him and James Ann and those guys um, early mornings at the pro competition classes. Uh, but but my main guidance these days is Fernando. He's mm -hmm. always there for me. He's always got my back. Excellent. So, all right. No, that's perfect. I think that's the biggest thing. It's like you have to find somebody that, one, you can look, look to to give you the answers that you need and obviously push you in the right direction, but also – people that got your back and they're always going to be there for you when you need them to. Right. Yeah, exactly. And training with Breno too. Like anything I need, um, you know, sharpened up on, man, that guy's got the answers. Yeah. That guy has the answers. Right. So he's really good, really sharp, keeps me on my toes. Well, I, I think when you look at a team like action reaction with that's the serial cost brand, like you, uh, they've been at the top of Ontario for the longest time, right? So, like, I think I, I, even Canada, I would say, like, as far as like competition and the skill set that they've been able to generate, right? So, I think one is a great school, it's great pedigree walking in and out of that school every single day, but then you just have the answers when you need them. Yeah, exactly. Everybody there is so good. Um, yeah, and 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 the thing is that at the training at Cal Samrat is super high level too. Like we have a lot of, you know, there's probably twenty some black belts that come over from Bruckman's that are there now, right? Mm -hmm. So like, there's always six black belts on the mats in any of my classes that I teach too at Cal Samrat, right? So it's it's high level there as well. So let me ask you this: so obviously having the experience of like traveling all over the world, whether it's through instructionals or obviously going through the coaching seminars that you've gone to, you've seen the ins and outs as far as like talent between obviously Canada and then people in the U S right. How would you like 
just obviously from your view, right? We're not talking about the whole deal, but from your view, how do you feel like the competition, the obviously the talent that Canada is still creating, are we on par with people from the US? Are we getting to that level or there's still things that we still need to work on, especially as like Canadian Jiu-Jitsu as a whole? Um, if you're talking about the entire population of the Jiu-Jitsu community, Canada's way ahead of the States. Like there's a lot less practitioners in the state in, in Canada, a lot less practitioners in Canada, but the percentage of the high level practitioners are way greater in the States. You have so much rural areas, so many jujitsu places that are, you know, teaching out of this guy's garage. This guy has a club that he's a purple belt teaching. And there's so many more practitioners in the States. There's just as many high level guys, but because there's so many more practitioners, it actually brings a percentage of excellence down a bit. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot more, um, recreational practitioners in the states and there is in canada i would say because there's more more people but again like there's more high level guys in the states because their population is so much bigger Mm -hmm. but i would say like per kappa like per person i would say canada has a lot higher level Mm -hmm. like like your our Ontario Open and things like that, like man, those are like world class events. Like our Canadian Nationals, man, all those guys compete. Like there's nobody in there that's a joke. Yeah, you know, like, like there's like, like so many have, good high level talent there. Yeah, right. So like in the states, there's so many tournaments that are like, eh, you know what I mean. So like, there's a lot more people. Let's say let's say it like this. Okay, there's five million people in the states um, that do jujitsu, but a hundred thousand of them are good. In Canada, there's only like two hundred thousand people doing jujitsu, and you know fifty thousand of them are good or whatever. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? There's more. Yeah, the percentage of higher level guys in Canada are. Okay. You understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah, no, 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 I get it, right? Like, especially when you look at it per capita and based on population in general, right? The average blue belt, the average blue belt and purple belt in Canada is a lot better than the average blue and purple belt in the States. Okay. Yeah. Do you think that's just based on, like, the skill of the instruction or just the um, the ability of, like, just, I don't know. I would say, I would say that it's mainly because most of our population of canada is near the border and it's most of our population is in bigger cities okay whereas in the states there's you know rural areas everywhere that don't have high level jiu-jitsu okay you know like this guy in georgia he's got you know 20 students but then there's nothing within 100 miles left right from his house right so they're never gonna be super high level mm-hmm. and they don't know what high level is they think they're high level you know what i'm saying yeah yeah no no i know what you mean so like uh like here i guess this might be a loaded question right uh, it might not even have the answer and and that's okay but it's kind of like the ideas of like you know like 
Canada is always trying to, we're trying to get more athletes on a spotlight, right? So like, again, this is perfect. Like we have guys like yourself, guys like Kieran, guys like Jordan, Chichijutsu, like pushing out DVDs and getting way more popularity, especially like on the grappling scene now. What's it going to take for getting more Canadians out, whether it be on a Who's Number One show or whatever type of show, Fight to Win or, or whatever it is to get more popularity out of these athletes? Um, there's so much athletes in the States to choose from that it's easier for, for these events to take their, their local guys Mm -hmm. instead of paying a Canadian athlete to fly in, you know? Yeah, no, we we need to do more high level events like ACE. Mm -hmm. ACE is is a perfect example. We need more like that, right? That's how we're going to get our name out there. Yeah. No, and so, so, like, do you think, like, shows like Ace, like, we got one coming up in August, uh, sorry, August 20th, next Sunday. Do you think more shows like that are, like, the way to go? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's how we're going to get our name out there and show that we have a deep talent pool. Um, yeah, like, and again, like, who's number one and stuff. We got lots of guys in here that can compete in who's number one. But it's cheaper for them to take the local guy from up the street mm-hmm. than fly in somebody from Canada. 100%. You know what I mean? So we don't get that exposure in those events because also those events are also trying to promote their own guys. They're not trying to promote Canadians. Yeah. No, I know. Right? Like even we looked at like the last who's number one that was just on, like Deontay Leon, okay, obviously Canadian guy, but not training out of, where is he training out of Ohio now, I he, think? He's, yeah, he's he's living in the States for yeah. 10 years or something now, right? Yeah, he's so. been living in the state. you have Eric Carlstein, he was there, another Canadian guy, but training out of Texas, like with B team. Again, exactly. Great guys, but they're training out of the U.S. more than anything. You gotta, exactly, you gotta move there where you're like, it's not gonna cost them money to get you in mm-hmm. right it's all it, it all comes down to money yeah logistics comes down to money logistics and, and money it's not about who's the best guys it's about the cheapest way to get the best guys so let, let's i could i know let's talk about shows just for general because i know you guys have a show that you guys run out of your place and kind of elaborate for the audience especially what it is and what you guys promote so we do uh cal samaritan super fight events out of our club and uh we can usually get about you know 600 people in there probably and uh what what i'm doing is i'm giving colored belts and black belts the platform to to be showcased and to get known Right. And I'm also doing like a master's black belt league. So mm. we're going to have, we have like rosters, uh, you know, one to eight, you know, contenders and champions and this and that. And it's just, it's just a way to try and get our athletes out there. Right. Uh, at this, like, jujitsu is not just about jujitsu to me is we're all team Canada. And I'm doing the best I can, and Cal Samurai is doing the best we can to get our athletes noticed, just like the Aces, mm-hmm. right? So basically, yeah, we're just we're just trying to showcase our, what we have and showcase, um, give everybody a platform to have fun. So 
let me and, and I want to I want you to explain to the audience, especially like how difficult it is to put on a show, especially trying to organize athletes to do certain things. Because I mean, people just like, well, we'll just run a show and everything will be fine. Like, explain to us like how this is a process and like how you guys put this stuff together because it's not easy trying to organize. 20 fights on a card is agonizing trying to figure it out. And then if somebody has to cancel, it's all, it shows everything to a whack. So how's your experience as far as like setting up shows and getting fights going? So first of all, the, the entertainment aspect of the show, Brendan Kellogenic, he takes care of all that. He gets the, the DJ, the, the rep, um, the announcers, the commentary, the light show. He sets all that up, so all I have to deal with is, like, the fight card. But when it comes to a fight card, I know that there's always going to be four or five pullouts. Mm-hmm. So for every match, I usually have 20 matches on my card. For every match, I have a replacement guy. I say, listen, you're ready to go because there's going to be five pullouts and 20 matches. So just to let you know, you're a replacement, and you might get thrown in there. And the replacement guy, I always let them know, listen, as long as you're ready to replace him, you will be on the next show. Mm-hmm. You know, I give them that, um, that that chance that, like, okay, you might not be on this event, but you will be on next event for being there for us, you know? Yeah, yeah, So yeah. for every matchup that we have, I already have a replacement. So you already have a step set up. Already, yeah. Yeah, I think you have to because it's just like, you run into problems where I remember like, and I, I'm not going to explain the card, but I remember there was a card where we were supposed to have a whole lineup of different individuals, but then it was just like, before the last day, it was just like this person pulled out, that person pulled out. And it was like pulling teeth, trying to get people to fight. Yeah. Like pulling teeth, literally. Um, everybody wants to, everybody wants a match until you say, Hey, you want to, you want to go? And they're like, uh, I'm busy that day. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> generally what happens. You get a hundred messages, but three people actually want to compete, right? So yeah. it's funny how it works. But yeah, I try and get replacements for for every matchup. That way, nobody's just saying like nobody can say like, oh, I've only had a week notice and I'm not ready or whatever. No, you still get a full training camp. You still mm. get eight weeks notice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So you're telling, so let's say fighter A, fighter B, they're set up, but you have fighter C on the raw, C and D, sorry, that are ready to go. And you're like, guys, train like you have a fight camp. You might have an opponent, you might not, but that way they're ready to go just in case. Yeah, exactly. And there's always jiu-jitsu tournaments on Ontario. There's so many of them now Mm -hmm. that like, even if you don't end up competing on the card, well, now you're in shape for the next tournament. Yeah. Right. So it's a win win for everything. Yeah. Right. And just being a replacement and saying yes to being a replacement, you're basically guaranteed to go on my next show. Mm-hmm. No, right? it, so that's, that's pretty unreal because I mean, like, you think about like days when, like, when you and I were like white and blue, blue belt, like, there were not this many tournaments at a time. There weren't even super fight shows at that time. Maybe there was maybe a super fight show once a year type thing, maybe Tony's submission expo, whatever. Right. But like now, even especially coming out of COVID, like, holy moly, like we're having tournaments every weekend. 
if anything. I think which AJP just happened this weekend. We got another one coming up next week. Like obviously Ace is on the 20th. Like there's so many super fight shows plus tournaments in Ontario alone. This is like unheard of when we and I were like white belt blue belt, which was like our prime yeah. competition years, right? And like now as as master competitors, like okay, we kind of have to pick and choose because we have jobs and responsibilities. Yeah, I man, when we were like white and blue belt, there was like three a year or something like that, right? Like, mm. uh, you know, the remember Joslins? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, I would do Joslin's. I would do like Combat Classic, and I, I don't think Ontario Open even started till no. Ten. Yes, that was like 2010. That one started, but I remember doing like um, Ascension was uh, like Ascensions Bravado at the time, but it was now like the GTA Classic um, yep. Grappler Quest. The one time it came up here, um, right? It's like like these weird shows and. I, I like OJA when it first started they had some weird shows going on and there was no really there, there like there wasn't really rules like they were kind of just like making them up as they go sort of you oh, know, until right. they... it was like you weigh in the day they you weigh in like the morning but then you wouldn't fight until like five o'clock six o'clock yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when are you competing i don't know <laughs> like, you're supposed to compete at 11 but you don't get in there until 6 p.m oh so like smooth comp didn't exist at that point like it's just insane it yeah. was just like you know stuff, on a, think, stuff on a board <laughs> i think the ibgf was good for that it kind of gave everybody a a template of how to do it mm -hmm. you know like all the when you go to the Ontario Open now and you see like the screens and everything like that, um, that show your fight times and everything, that's all from the IBGF. They've all, you know, it's all taken that template from that. So, no, I think kinda, I, we're kind of lucky in a way that we had the IBGF to follow. Oh, you know what? I think like anything, you need somebody's got to lead the charge in something, right? And you, you that was your early adapter that figured out a way to do competitions in a streamlined fashion and then it was up to the local guys to go like okay how can we make this better and how do we make it bigger and like that's what innovation is that's what you want to have go on now i think the next step will be okay how do we make these even more efficient how do you get tournaments that are like again let's say world masters you're going to have like let's say Ontario open becomes that big where you have that many competitors going and how do you make it as streamlined as possible? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's a good question. Uh, I think Ontario, like Ontario open is, is obviously the biggest event in Canada, mm -hmm. right? Um, they're, they're offering trips and things like that too, for winners. So that's a, that's a good thing. Um, but yeah, we just need to keep growing, right? Just like keep doing what we're doing and eventually we're evolving. Mm -hmm. uh, but the IB Jeff needs to have a lot more events here. I think. Well, they only do one a year. Is it, uh, they, they even Toronto. do one this year? Yeah, Toronto, September oh, okay. 15 and 16. Oh, okay, so they are doing a show. Yeah, okay. or that's 16 good. And 16, something like that. Yeah, but the thing is, like, in order for you to get a good seating in the world or the world's masters or the pans or the euros you need to build up wins in the ibgf opens to build up a good seating mm -hmm. right and that means we have to travel the states competing right 
right? Yeah. If we had like, you know, a couple um, uh, I'd be Jeff opens it like an Ottawa, a Montreal, a Toronto, um, a Winnipeg, Edmonton, we'd have a lot more opportunity to build up a seating to go to these events. Yeah, I, I think that's a huge right. knock too on them because it's like you look. Yeah, again, that's just, if it's just Toronto, we don't have like a Calgary, we don't have a Vancouver, we don't have opportunities for Canadian athletes to start seeding themselves better in these competitions. That's right. So all Canadian athletes that go to these big events like Worlds Masters, Worlds Pans, Euros, we're all not going to have a very good seeding because we don't have the opportunity to to travel to compete. Some some people do some people who are full-time instructors that they go away every weekend and stuff but like guys like myself like i work two weekends a month Mm -hmm. right so i have two weekends off a month so it's not very easy for me just to be like oh i'm going to this open like i might have to work you Mm -hmm. know so i can't it's hard for me to build up a seating for myself to seed in a good spot you know so i'm almost guaranteed a, a, a shitty seating at all times yeah. So like, and, and just, just for clarity, like what's a, I guess when you were from world masters, does it, does seeding come in play at that point? Yeah, it does. Okay. Yeah, so, does. so that being said, so like what type of seeding are you kind of looking at just from based off of what you're experiencing now? So I, I got second in Chicago open. Uh, in the spring and then the summer. And then I got second in the Toronto IB Jeff Open. So, last year. Okay. Yeah, last year. Um, and it, it basically goes back two years. Okay, so, so you keep those those points. Okay. Exactly. So I, I have some sort of a seating, so I'm not at the bottom. Okay, right. so worst case scenario, let's say you had nothing. What would somebody have to go through? Are they looking at the bottom of the seed to the number one ranked individual? Yes. Okay. So the guy, the guy with the, the zero points fights the guy with the most amount of points. Oh, Jesus. And then the guy with the second last fights the second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like, kind of like the playoff, and, basically. Exactly. So going in there, going into World's Masters, I'm guaranteed that I'm going to compete against one of the best guys in the IB Jajaf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So, so okay. that's the way it is. Gotcha. And I, so, you know what? And, and in all reality, like there's 65 guys in my division. I'm just looking to compete. I'm looking to compete as hard as I can. I'm looking to compete against the best guys I can find. You know, like it, it's you got to win six matches to get gold, probably five matches to get to the podium. That's a long day, mm-hmm. right? Like. Right. So, and it only gets, you know, if you get past your first or second round as a low seed guy, it starts to get, it might get a little easier, but then you're getting guys who are getting wins who might be awesome without seeding. So, yeah. It's never a, it's never an easy road. So, yeah. No, no, I got you. Just looking to compete and do the best they can. That's it. Right. Enjoy a little vacation while I'm there. Oh, perfect. That's the way to do it. Awesome. So, Kyle, especially like, when you look at kind of obviously you got this in your sights right now, which is going to be the masters, what's kind of mo- next moving forward? Obviously we talked about your next BJJ fanatics time when you go down there, but like, what's kind of like 
the overall, I guess you would say goal for Kyle Sleeman. Like what's the, what are the things that you really want to accomplish in the jiu-jitsu world moving forward as you kind of like, you know, one day the, that athletic career is going to end, right? Are you still going to be competing? What's, what's your plan? I'm going to always try and compete. I've, I've been competing in martial arts since I've been like eight years old. So it's just like what I do. I don't think I'm ever going to stop competing. Um, but my whole goal is I've, I've kind of built a platform for myself. So I want to like, I want to, I want to spread love and kindness. There's too much hatred in this world. And I just want to like, anytime I go somewhere and I can do a seminar, I always want to make sure that at the end of it, I let everybody know, listen, guys, we're, we're all one team here. You know, we're not, nobody's against anybody. We're all one. And we got to spread love and kindness around this earth. We got to stick together on that. Right. So my, my whole goal is just to spread jujitsu, spread kindness and, uh, yeah, like, and just continue doing what I'm doing and, um, you know, try and keep building. Um, I, I don't really have any end goals because this is never, this is never any journey. Mm-hmm. Right. So, but what's next for me is as soon as I get back from world's masters, two weeks later, I'm back in Iceland and I'll be back in Iceland teaching jujitsu right there for a week. And again, I'm going to try and spread the love and the kindness in there, spread jujitsu my passion for jujitsu, right? And uh, yeah, so. Are you going to go roll with Thor again? Um, I'm not sure <laughs> if he's going to be doing anything. Like he just had, uh, he tore his pec. Oh, ooh, ouch. I'm sure I'll like go see him and stuff like that. But uh, he tore his pec and he just had surgery and stuff. So I don't think he'll be doing anything at the gym. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, anytime I'm there, I always stop by the gym. I'm always say hi to him and stuff like that. So like, yeah, like you know just, what? he's a super how, humble guy, man. How big is that guy though? Like if you were if you're standing beside him, how big is he? So he's six foot nine, and I'm five five. <laughs> <laughs> so he's six nine, and I asked him. I said, "Jesus, man!" I said, I "said What do you weigh right now?" And he says, "This morning before I came here to meet up with you, he was three forty two." <laughs> and he and he lost fifty. And he kilograms. lost weight. Yeah, fifty kilograms. Jesus Christ! <laughs> because like, because when he was like doing world's strongest man, he was like in the fours, wasn't he? Yeah, high fours, like, like four eighty or something. Like yeah. four, like with abs, like just yeah, like, dude. Like I remember watching and... him do the the world record break for his deadlift or whatever, and like after he broke the the deadlift uh, record. He just tears his shirt off. It's like full peck abs. I'm like, holy fuck. Like, like crazy. There's levels to this game. <laughs> yeah, dude. And 6'9, too, right? And yeah. like, huge, thick, huge, man. His hand, like, I was like, hey, bro. Like, I'm like, holy shit, he swallowed my hand. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? The guy was so humble. Like, first thing he did is, like, started, like, picking my brain on, like, diet, nutrition, and, like, you know, athleticism and stuff. Like, he was right into learning right away. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. You know, like, super humble guy. That's pretty cool, right? Because, like, especially when you see, like, a high-level athlete like he is. And whoever on the stream is like, he's not an athlete. Shut the fuck up. Go lift, go lift the amount of weight he does and then talk to me, right? That guy's an athlete. But, 
the, the again high level athlete competed with some of the best in the world at his field obviously asking questions about you and your field that's pretty that's pretty cool experience absolutely absolutely it was yeah and you know what it was cool he showed me around the gym and i went back and uh he invited me to hit so he was doing a strongman competition in texas the weekend after i was there and so he invited me to the gym to uh to follow along on his last final workout before he took off to texas mm-hmm. and so he was breaking records and everything so i was there and he broke a bunch of records i even posted a video on my instagram of him doing the the kettlebell yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, over over this um this bar and they, they they put the top of the bar with the um measuring tape to the world record throw they put it right there. They said, if he gets it over, it's a world record. And he threw it over with four feet, like over by four feet. He killed wow. It. Yeah. So, so being but, there, videotaping that and seeing that like live right there that he crushed the world record, that was awesome, man. Yeah. Like, like just as looking at the sheer, like obviously what size was the, the, the bell that he was throwing or the bag? It was 55 kilograms. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Do you think you could throw wait, that 50? Wait, wait. Was it 50? Or maybe 25 kilograms. Oh, 25 kilograms? Like 55, 55 yeah, pounds? Yes. Okay. So, like, yeah. just seeing that, like, and seeing how high he threw that, do you think you could do anything like that at all? No. <laughs> I picked it up, and I was like, holy shit. Like, it was like. It was fucking heavy, dude. Like it was like a sixty-pound dumbbell, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm throw a sixty-pound dumbbell twenty-five feet up in the air. <laughs> and there's, I think I have another video on my Instagram too, where I, I picked up his dumbbell. His dumbbell was sitting on its side, and it was up to my chest right here. Jeez. Okay, and it was, it was two hundred pounds. It was like, yeah, two hundred-pound dumbbell, and he does shoulder presses with them. Jesus Christ. And I like deadlifted it. Really? <laughs> then that's just like like you should feel like again, here's the thing. Like you're you're an athlete, you're like, I can lift stuff. I've I've lifted things before, and then like you're just like looking at this dumbbell, like I can't lift this thing. This person is huge. Crazy. Like absolutely insane, man. Different worlds. We're just living in it. <laughs> yeah. And like the stuff he had in his gym, like those those big round boulders that they lift up and put on top of things like, holy shit, man, I can barely even roll them. Mm-hmm. Like they're lifting these things up and putting them on pillars. And like, I can barely even roll it. It's a fucking round ball. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy, man. Oh man. That's pretty sick. So ACE Jiu-Jitsu cards coming up. I don't know if you've seen the card. There's a lot of great matches on it. Um, when you looked at the eight man bracket, where it's like, like kind of what stands out or is there any matches that you're super excited about that are coming up on it? Well, I seen the, I seen the eight man uh, thing. I didn't, is there, is the brackets out yet? Yeah, I can tell you right now. Just give me two seconds. I'll pull it up. Um, I, uh, I obviously rooting for my friend and training partner, Breno. Breno. Yeah. So Breno's in there. Uh, Hold on. Let me pull this up right now. I got it. Okay. So we got, Max Lee, we got Andrew Racine, we got Luke Roberts, Mateus uh, Arduda, John Cunningham, Adam James, Breno Demiria, and then Group Trip, 
Gurpreet uh, Ragnu. I say the finals are going to be Max Lee and Breno. Ooh. I say that'll be the finals. Yeah, no, I think that is good. I think that's... Max is a monster too, right? Well, yeah, because you got Max is a monster. Andrew Racine, he, like, he's well-seasoned in the ace, uh, like, formatting. And then you got Luke Roberts who's coming in there as a first time as a pro, as um, a black belt, which should be good. Yep. And then yep. they got Adam James, which is um, another gentleman. Actually, no, that's the wrong. They got the wrong picture on there. That is not the right Adam James. Never mind that one. <laughs> but he's another guy, somebody to look out for. Um, and then who's the oh? Actually, you know, it's going to be a good match that I'm looking forward to. We got. Um, Scott, uh, our boy Scott from Niagara BJJ, uh, oh, yeah. Caesar, um, in the heavyweight division. <laughs> That'll be a good match. I'm like, Scott, what happened? You just like fucking eat all summer or what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, shut the fuck up, man. And then, uh, we got Greg King versus James Ann. That should be a good one. That'll be a good one. Yeah, that'll definitely be good. And oh, and then actually, like, uh, this is the match I do want to talk to you about. Kevin Wheeler versus Seiji. Yeah, that'll be a good match. So we got two individuals very versed in lapel. I don't know. When you're kind of seeing those two guys, what would you who are you thinking? Um well I don't want to give away any of like Kevin's oh yeah strategies, right? Because yeah, he's, he's my like, training partner. Um but uh I think I think Kevin will come out with the win. Okay. Um, I just competed against CG actually, and uh, at the Canadian Nationals, mm -hmm. um, I was doing great, and I got caught in a toehold. Mm, um, yeah. So I, I don't think like, I don't know why I got caught in that toehold. Like. It, I, I almost Se like, Seiji Seiji's like a wizard though. He can pull stuff yeah. out that you don't really see coming. Shouldn't happen. I see. I feel you. I feel you. No, I like. Oh, I, 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 I've, I've had the pleasure of rolling with Seiji many many years ago. Obviously, like when we used to train together on the same team, and he's just as tough of a beast as he is then what he is now. So I can I can, I know what you're saying. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I think Kevin will be too much for him. I think Kevin's too strategic. Mm -hmm. He's too smart. Well, he's very, um, he's very seasoned individual. Like he's been competing a long very, time. Very seasoned, very smart. He, uh, he knows how to adapt his, his strategy for certain individuals. Mm -hmm. Whereas me, I just enter and play my game. I'm like, I'm doing what I do. You gotta, yeah. you gotta, you got to defend what I'm doing. Whereas Kevin will be like, well, he does this and this and this, so I'm going to play this. And he's very strategic. I, Kevin's going to be a hard guy to beat. So let me ask you that. So, because obviously you will be competing soon. Like, have you, as you're kind of saying, like the way you kind of prepare for your matches is generally, like you have a strategy of things that you're going to do, where obviously there are some other people who will study tape, they will go over the strength of individuals. Like, do you find for yourself there's value in that? Or do you just kind of like, I just need to do what I need to do better? Yeah. So ultimately I feel like 
people get in their own heads by bigging up their opponents and what their opponents do well. Okay. I feel like you shouldn't, like, I shouldn't worry about what my opponents do well. I need to worry about what I do well. And as long as I can enter and enter the match and play my game and put you on defense off the hop, then you won't have a chance of playing your game. Mm-hmm. Right? So I don't need to be thinking, like, oh, he's got a great single leg X. I need to learn how to shut that down better. No, I'm just not going to get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to make sure I play my game, right? Put him on defense right away. As long as I'm offensive and put him on defense right away, then he has to play catch-up, right? And as long as he's playing catch-up, then he can't get his game going, right? Mm-hmm. No, no, no. And totally. I, think a, I think a mental, a mental block for some people is they – they put their opponent up on a pedestal and say, oh, he's really good at this or really good at that. Well, now you're already putting that fear and that doubt in your own head. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So when you kind of look at, obviously... That's for me. So what kind of advice do you have for whether it being, whether it's masters, uh, individuals competing for the first time, or your seasoned individuals competing again, if you had to get, give that one tip of advice before anything, what's what are you giving your athlete? There's no need to get nervous um, because a lot of times nerves come from worrying about winning or losing. If you worry about the outcome of a match, you're going to create stress. And you can never control the outcome of a match. You can only worry about what you can control. You can control your diet. You can control your training. You can control how much effort you put in off the mats, like running and things like that. Um, But don't worry about things that you can't control. So the outcome of the match shouldn't even be an option. Also, you're going to be loved unconditionally by your family and friends, regardless of the outcome of the match. So really, it doesn't matter. Just go in there and compete the best of your ability. And nobody can judge effort, right? So my best piece of advice is just go have fun and train hard and compete hard. And whatever happens, happens. That, that is very sound advice. I like that. That's very good. Perfect. Yeah, so, so like you're, you're, even if you lose ridiculously, like you're still surrounded by unconditional love by everybody. So mm-hmm. what's the big deal? You didn't actually lose. You just you know you lost the you lost the game. Like if you go out there and play baseball and you lost the game, big deal. Yeah, exactly. Big you deal. get you got crushed and you move on and you okay whatever. The biggest yeah. thing are are you able to train tomorrow? Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Go. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I, that's the way I look at it. It's like. I think the best tournaments are the ones that you don't get injured and you can just still train the next day. Exactly. And that's how it should be. Right. Always like, don't let yourself get hurt. Always be aware of like what's going on. It's just a tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's a big event, like it's like, don't let yourself get hurt. It's mm-hmm. all for fun. Like just enjoy it. Right. Like don't take it too serious. Of course, like you're, your training and everything's serious but what i'm saying is like don't let your arm get broken don't take it yeah. that seriously mm-hmm. right no no, no i get like, you 
Yeah. Even if you're getting paid a million dollars, don't let your arm get broken. No, exactly. Well, nobody's right? getting paid here in Canada, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, even in the UFC, like, those guys don't need to be getting, like, like breaking limbs and stuff. Well, they, and, they get knocked over fine, but. Well, you know what, too? It's like, I, when you, when you see guys get their, like, shit broken and they're, like, they kill, keep fighting, like, I get the will to win. Don't get me wrong, right? Do you remember watching the, I think it was Michael Musumeci versus, it was this. Oh. Like oh. it was the heel hook, right? And the guy got in the heel hook like five times. And you see Mike just like he's just doing his job. Like he's just turning that foot up and around on itself. And I remember when he finally let go of that ankle and the guy tried guy rolled up inside Mikey's guard and he tried to step on that foot and oh. the foot had no stability because all the ligaments would just been torn apart. I'm just like, How? I want one. Why did you okay? How did you not tap? It blows my mind. So good on you on your pain tolerance. But like, why you accomplished nothing? Like, and now you're going to be out for a year, and you'd be lucky if you compete again. Right. I don't even think I've heard of that guy since. No, I don't think he can. But if he ta- if he tapped, he could have been on the next card. Exactly. Right. right? Uh, just and like, nobody uh, would have looked at him bad for losing the Mikey. Like. Yeah. I mean, like you got, you got in there. You like you got the experience to compete against somebody like that. Like that's gonna better you, right? But tearing your knee and stuff like that's now yeah. now you're not better. Yeah, no. So okay. one one last question before we go. Um, one of the most ex- anticipated fights or matches, which is supposedly not going to happen or is going to happen, Mike Zuckerberg. Sorry, Mark Zuckerberg versus Elon Musk. Who are you taking? Oh, Why? And do you think this will even happen, or is it all a bunch of other shit? No, it's just to, to get talks going, and you know, um, billionaires have got too much even, money and they don't know what to do with themselves. You know what? They probably didn't even come out with it. Somebody else probably came out with it. The rumor. I don't think that's going to happen. Like that's no way. Okay. No way. Hypothetical though, if it were to happen, who are you taking and why? I would take. I would take Zuckerberg because he's um, he's younger and uh, like Elon Musk doesn't even look like he can do a squat. <laughs> right? Like, have you seen him lately? I've seen him. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. Like, he doesn't even look like a human. He looks like he's weird. He looks well, like a penguin. The funny thing is that they're saying, oh, like, oh, well, it looks like uh, Elon's got to have like surgery or something like that. I'm like, if Elon's going in for surgery, he's coming out with like, fucking cyborg hands and arms and he's gonna like everything's gonna be steel plated he's gonna look like fucking wolverine as he comes out of there and he's just gonna beat the shit out of mark <laughs> but i don't see it happening anyways i i honestly think that possibly somebody in the jujitsu world could have come out with this to maybe get more eyes on jujitsu oh yeah i could say that right I, you know like taking because they both have a lot of followers and if they put jujitsu beside their names, then a lot of the followers who don't know what jujitsu is will be like, "Oh, what is that?" And then look into it. I feel like it's all just a marketing scheme. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, like I will give um, Mark Zuckerberg like credit. Obviously, like he has been training jujitsu. Like he's done. He's. I think he's training with uh, Dave Camarillo. Uh, no, I'm. I forget yeah. who he's training with now. So like. Uh, like guerrilla jiu-jitsu i believe but um 
he's training with him. He's done obviously match like practice sessions with Mike Musumeci. So like he's doing things, right? He's been promoted to a blue belt. So like I'll give him credit there where he's going to tournaments and mingling with the common folk. Right. So I'm not I don't see Elon doing any of that, nor do I no. think he will. And it's like Elon Musk isn't shrimping nowhere. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing he's shrimping is at the buffet. Yeah. <laughs> I would agree. I would agree. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. Well, listen, Kyle, I do want to appreciate I do appreciate you jumping on. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. I hope you had a good time. Um, before we wrap up, is there anybody you want to thank, sponsorships you want to shout out to, anything like that? Uh, yeah, thanks a lot for having me. I really appreciate it. It's always nice talking to you. Um, I really, uh, I really love listening to your guys' podcast. Uh, I'd like to give a shout out first to you guys. Thanks a lot. Um, I want to give a shout out to Cal Samrat Martial Arts and Brendan Kellogenet. Like to give a shout out to um, Fernando Zula. Cicero Costa, Action Reaction, uh, BJJ Fanatics for always having my back. Those guys are awesome. Um, they uh, unconditional support from those guys. Obviously, BJJ Globe Trotters, they're awesome as well. Uh, Benji's Coffee, always sending me premium coffee. I am. And uh, yeah, they're they're awesome too. And Popeye Supplements, Popeye Supplements has had my back for about six years now. And uh, yeah, anything I need, those guys also have my back. So. Thank you so much to everybody who supports me and uh, and my journey. And uh, I just want to spread the passion of jiu-jitsu and love and kindness around the earth. Awesome. Kyle, it's been a pleasure. I do appreciate it. I will see. Are you coming on Sunday? Um, to No, I work Ace? actually. Uh, ah, yes. yes. Well, I, I was going to be on the card, but I work I work 8 to 4 p.m. And the card ah, starts Yeah, yeah, I gotcha. Or else I would have been competing on it, right? Okay. All right, no worries. Well, we'll get you on the next card for sure, hundred percent. Yeah, thanks. I'll All be right, in the, uh, the East tournament though. I'll be there. Oh, that'll be uh, October fourteenth, or yeah. yeah, I'll be doing the Ontario Open Nogi and the East event. Oh, nice, perfect, excellent, awesome. Well, I will be there as well. But before then, I will see everybody on August twentieth at the Ace Jiu-Jitsu tournament. Kyle, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. All right. Thank you, brother. Thanks, buddy. All with, thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you soon. See you on the back.